Welcome to Ruby Ray, real and raw conversations for the rising global woman. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Ray podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Norton, and today I'm super excited to be sharing one of my favorite topics of conversation with Gabriela Gutierrez again. So we have her back for another episode, and today we are talking about dreaming and specifically dream activism or how we can use dreaming as a form of change making both in ourselves and in our world and we dive into the melissa the bee priestesses of ancient greece and the specific practices and traditions and tools that they used within the dream world, within their dream work. And Gabriella also shares her form of dream work that she partakes in with a colleague, which is called dream activism. And so this conversation really goes into how we can use our dreams as a form of healing, as a form of medicine, and as a form of change-making, and how we can get into the more meaningful dreams to enter the secret chamber within ourselves in the dream time versus going on autopilot and having dreams with maybe less meaning, less intention, and less healing. And so we dive into how to decipher dreams how to interpret them and how to really start bringing more intention and more practice, more discipline into our dream time. So anyone could connect with Gabriella on Instagram. She's at honeyed.ways and you can find her work online at thevirtualtemple.net. And I just want to invite everyone listening to this episode now to a special form of collective dream work that Gabriella and her colleague are offering very soon. So this is a free event and it is a form of collective dreaming and I will be doing it. Others all around the world will be doing it. And the way it works is this is a specific part of their dream activism. So they offer seasonal practices to undertake collective dreaming every changing season, so every equinox and solstice. And before going to bed, we set the intention to dream with the earth for a healed earth. And so when we partake in this collective dreaming, we enter the dreamscape with a shared mission. It's part of intentionally weaving together with the earth for healed earth and it's also part of living in a more earth honoring way so feeling ourselves as a part of the earth feeling ourselves connected with her and recognizing that as these seasons change as we enter this equinox this autumn equinox the veil becomes thinner so our dreams become a little bit more heightened and we can receive that much more potent of messages and also just move in this cyclical nature with the earth and partake in practices that help heal her and connect us with her and remind us of our changing cycles and her changing cycles as well so This is one of the practices that came from within the Melissa tradition that can be traced back to the work of the Melissa bee priestesses in ancient Greece. And if you want to learn more about the Melissa and who they were and the Poland method, their form of healing, go back to the previous episode with Gabriella and you can learn all about that there. And then on this episode today, we're going specifically into their dreaming practices and how we can use this as a tool to reclaim our power and let ourselves receive the transmission of the dream through the entirety of who we are as a holistic experience. And 
I'm really excited to share this conversation with you today. I hope you find a huge amount of value from it and maybe add some different tools and practices and transformations to deepen into your own dream work. So thank you so much for being here and happy dreaming. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Ray podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Norton, and today we are back with Gabriela Gutierrez, and I'm so excited to have her back on the show. If you haven't listened to the first podcast episode with her, you can go back and listen to the episode about bee shamanism and the melisse and get a little bit of a background about her work and the lineage that she works with and a little bit of a feel for just the depth and the scope of what she's working with. And if not, then you're welcome to stay here now. And we are exploring today a different aspect of the Melissa, which was a lineage of priestesses in ancient Greece that in Eastern Europe that were practicing a form of bee shamanism. And so the Poland method, which we discussed in the previous podcast in the first episode with her was about the Poland method, the healing method of the Melissa. And today we're going into a different aspect in a different realm of their practices, which is in the realm of dream work. And so the Melissa worked with dream activism and how to use dreaming as a form of spiritual activism. So I'm really excited to have this conversation about dreaming and dream activism and how these pre-patriarchal feminine lineages of Eastern Europe worked with dreaming as a form of spiritual activism. Personally, I've worked with my dreams for about 10 years, just keeping dream journals, and I've always had very active dreams. And I know that that's one of the ways that my guides communicate with me and that I receive messages. And so I think learning how to work with our subconscious on a deeper level and to receive and be able to understand the messages of our dreams really is a helpful tool to help us come into deeper communion and understanding and intimacy with ourselves and with the, with our soul, with whatever messages are yearning to be communicated and needing to be communicated with us. So I'm really just honored to have you here again, Gabriella. Welcome. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's lovely to be here again. So the Melissa, they worked with dream practices, with dream activism. So can we just start off by exploring and diving into what is dream activism? Because when in the modern sense of activism, I think a lot of us, we get that idea of someone marching in the streets or being in the political sphere or fighting for social justice, these sort of things are attributed with this word activism. But there's something telling me that maybe they were this word spiritual activism has a different form or maybe a different meaning within the Melissa. So can you help us understand what spiritual activism means? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, just really thank you for opening the space to talk about this because these teachings are usually quite Mm -hmm. private and held quite close to the hive of women who study them primarily based in Europe. And the opening up of a space to talk about all of this feels very timely now because of all that's happening in the world. It feels like there's an urgency to start opening these teachings up and sharing them so that we can perhaps apply some of them to, to, to contribute to you know healing our world to this dream of a healed world. And 
spiritual activism or the way that we work with shamanism, if we take it right back, is that it is a belief system that addresses life through all its lenses. It's a holistic approach to life. So it addresses the ecological, the psychological, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a cosmology that is wholesome. And so when one of those things is out of balance, we work towards the restoration of balance and harmony. Um, and right now, as we're all aware, there is an imbalance in the ecological well-being of the world and in the socio-political cultural well-being, which then affects the physical and the mental and the emotional. Mm -hmm. And so when we can bring, when we can find the root causes of things and bring them into balance, the understanding is that everything else will follow suit. And so spiritual activism, or in this case, dream activism, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about dreaming in a moment so it makes more sense, is this idea that when you work with all of those aspects of being, you come to harmony. And that is the way to affect the most immediate and long-lasting change, which is at the heart of activism, right? how to bring change for the bettering of, mm -hmm. of all. So my background is in political and social activism. I used to organize lots of protests in London and I used to protest in Palestine against the Israeli settlements and against the illegal deportation of refugees and asylum seekers in the UK. And after I had an accident, I sort of shifted into seeing change making as something much more as having to go deeper than just putting a, a, a sort of plaster or a bandaid on the wound, you know, trying to find the root cause. And that's where shamanism comes in. And shamanism being at its heart, for me anyway, a form of spiritual activism. It's not about going to live in a cave away from the world. It's about holding that power and that strength and that, you know, that, that light, that torch in the middle of the chaos, of the socio-political chaos, of the ecological chaos, and, and affecting change in that way. And so one of the practices that we use as a form of change-making is dreaming and dream work. Dream activism is a term that I personally came up with. It, it wasn't passed down from within the tradition. And it's something that I work alongside Ariella Dali with. She's one of my colleagues and dearest, dearest friends within bee shamanism. And we offer these seasonal practices for peoples all over the world to undertake collective dreaming every changing season with every equinox and solstice intentionally dreaming together with the earth for a healed earth it's one of the practices that come from within the tradition that can be traced back to the work of the melissi in ancient greece dreaming with the earth you know this understanding that the earth is a, a sentient being that she is a spirit, that she is alive, and that she can inform our dreaming if we choose to listen so that together we can move towards a dream of a healed earth. Mm. Wow. So how can the earth inform our dreaming? Are there any certain practices or is it just bringing an awareness to this idea that the earth can actually inform our dreams and we can enter into this sort of harmonic relationship between our dreams and the earth because usually it's we go to bed and we dream right that's sort of this that we enter into a dream state and we receive dreams maybe we 
ask a question mm-hmm. before we go to bed or maybe we write something down or set an intention mm-hmm. for something that we're working through to receive clarity around it. But a lot of times we also just go to bed and we dream and whatever comes up, comes up. And it, that's sort of the magic of the dreams is it's such a subconscious process where we really are able to dive into the unknown and into the psyche. But with this form of dreaming, with this tradition and dreaming with the earth and dreaming with the intention to heal the earth and and for change of the earth, is there something that, is there a certain practice that gets us into that intention or gets us into that alignment with dreaming with the earth? Yes, you actually just said it. Um, It's the intentionality. Mm. (laughs) It's all really quite Mm -hmm. simple, like all women's mysteries, you know, all ancient wisdom (laughs) is very simple. I had this brilliant student, (laughs) brilliant, brilliant student the other day, one of my classes, this lovely woman from Brazil. And she said something like, you know, I just can't get my head around this work being so simple. You know, how can it be so simple? <laughs> you know, is is this is this it? And 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 you know, and you just kind of go, well, well, yes, you know, yes, that's it. It's simple. It's you know, simple like sitting under a tree and feeling at one. You know, simple like you know the the state of bliss in the arms of your beloved, or you know that first morning ocean swim. You know, it's simple. Um, and you've, you've, you've just said it. It's just the intention. It's intentionality. Dreaming is like, it's a bit like, um, if you imagine living, you're sort of in wakeful in your wake, sorry, in your waking state, um, awake during the day. And instead of, it's like the difference between being on autopilot and, choosing to go into a meditative mindful state that's it you're awake but you have a choice of two modes in sleep Mm. it's the same you know you're in sleep and you have a choice between two modes and it may be that the whole night all that's happening is where buying groceries in a shopping mall you know or where having a conversation with our neighbor about nothing and there is no meaning or no kind of depth seemingly to the dream. Or we might choose to dream with intention and mindfulness and enter depths that are, that are a rare type of knowledge and that can offer a possibility for healing in the form of a dream. Um, so that's really the only that's 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 really the sort of beginning place to dream with intention. And what that means is in the practice of the Melissi, at least, the way that we work is to set an intention before going to sleep. So, for instance, the work that Ariella and I do before we go to sleep on the equinoxes and on the solstices, a group of people around the world all intentional, intentionally dream. We all set the intention before going to sleep that night to dream with the earth for a healed earth. And so there are people undertaking a journey through sleep, through the dreamscape, with a shared mission, if you will, <laughs> with a shared intention And then those intentions are weaved together in an oracular practice that Ariella and I undertake later on. And we create what what is known as a dream weave, a weave of dreams that are medicinal, that when spoken, offer a healing balm for all who listen, that hope to change the fabric of our reality so we can move more towards a healed earth together. Wow. So the dream weave happens as as a culmination of the collective dreaming that happens. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's like everybody is in search of a thread from mm-hmm. the, you know, fabric of the the dreaming fabric that makes up our our world, our, our reality. 
and everybody receives one thread that night, the night of the equinox or the night of the solstice, and offer it to the hive um, in the form of an email. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And when we receive the emails, we then enter a oraculous state um, undertaking a practice that is of the oracular arts of the melisai and weave the, each thread together to make what we call a dream weave and you know cloak ourselves and and invite others who participated in the dreaming to cloak themselves in the dream weave so as to receive it it's you know it's healing and whatever medicines are there for each person wow so do you find that the content or texture of the dreams are different when you enter into this intentional dream activism, dream work state versus just a regular dream or a dream without the intention? Absolutely. Yes. It's like when you set an intention, it's like a door opens into a chamber that is only accessible if you've set the intention. Um, otherwise, oh it's gosh. like, <laughs> you know, it's a bit like this. the image that's coming to mind is, you know how um, some t- public libraries are accessible to all, right? Anyone can go into a library and read the books that are there. However, mm-hmm. there are always those private rooms with the rare archives that are only accessible to those who have made themselves worthy, you know, who have really shown up, who have really shown interest. And, you know, the gatekeepers of those rooms will only offer the key to those who have really kind of shown up. Dreaming is a bit like that. It's entered with humility, you know, with humbleness, with dedication, and with the hope that the gatekeepers of the dreams will open that hidden door in the library of dreaming and open the ways for us. Wow. I love that. And I love that visual because it, it does feel like we can enter into these, these secret chambers of, of the collective conscious or the unconscious. And I think it really just also speaks to the power Mm -hmm. of our intention, going back to the simplicity of, we don't need to overcomplicate things because there's power and there's there's a magic just in the simplicity of, of things and it allows a message to come through that's potent and can really touch mm-hmm. to the heart of things. And I'm curious, why is there a specific reason that you enter into this collective dreaming on the equinoxes and the solstices every year? Mm. Oh, I love that question. I hope I can do it justice with my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is. The understanding and this concept that I touched on at the very beginning, that the earth is alive, right? And that the earth is a sentient being, what we call in shamanism a spirit. She has her cycles, She is of a cyclical nature, as is woman. And though dreaming is open to all genders, of course, and dream activism as we undertake it is open to all genders, there is a connection or a particular, very particular relationship between women or those who identify with the inner womb space and dreaming. And that is because of the role that the womb plays in dreaming. Dreaming tends to be received by women or those who identify with the inner womb. Dreaming tends to be received within the womb, mirrored in the womb, because the womb is seen as the gateway between this realm and the other between the world of matter and the world of spirit. And dreaming is often received and and transmitted through the woman's body in her womb. And the womb is of a cyclical nature. There is a life-death-life cycle of the womb. 
just as there is with the earth and her cycles of winter, spring, summer, and autumn, so does woman have four seasons in her body. And when we link up with the cycles of the earth, our bodies tend to link up as well and our wombs. And we find that we bleed in a more cyclical way and and experience sort of healing and dismembering and cleansing and remembering and again, healing and dismembering as the earth does. Part of the hope for a healed earth is that humankind can live in a more earth honoring way to feel ourselves a part of the earth and not separate from her. And a good beginning place for that, I think, is to dream with her, to see ourselves as cyclical with her, to see ourselves as part of her. This is partly why we dream on the solstices and equinoxes because it, we we mirror her cyclical nature and tune up with her with her ways but also because those four times of year the veil is thin the veil thins between this world and the other you know between the abode of the gods and and our world our realm and dreaming is much more accessible it's like a little portal opens up <laughs> For, for dreams that are more informed, that are more um, inspired by the divine. Right, because we can have dreams that, and this is where it can kind of get complicated, is there's one part of remembering the dream, but then there's also the part of being able to interpret it or extract the messages from it. And I think in this state, maybe with the dreaming with the earth, this is where the oracular arts come into it, into the interpretation and weaving in and kind of the artistry of taking the dream and bringing it into form or, or receiving the messages from it. And the differences between having a dream that is giving that potent medicine or that potent message versus a dream that maybe isn't going as deep into something, but that's maybe a whole other realm in itself because would the Melissa believe that every dream has a important message for the dreamer? Or do you think some dreams are sort of, I don't want to say throwaway dreams, but maybe they're just a random dream that isn't necessarily full of a message. I don't know if this makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Yeah, no, I understand exactly. Um, I, I'm getting a really strong sense of what you mean anyway, because I, I think this question comes up quite a lot. And I, I think a good way to sort of a good metaphor, perhaps to see it through is this idea of how we function in our daily life when we're in autopilot and when we're in a mindful, more kind of meditative place, more alert, more awake, more alive, more present. I think that when we're in autopilot, we can often have thoughts that aren't true, mm -hmm. that aren't of the truest nature, you know, like I am not good enough or I'm judgmental of my controlling grandmother or I'm thinking about that conversation that I should have said this in and should have said that in and and I'm not fully present with who I am and what's moving in that moment I'm living in this kind of untrue reality based on thoughts that we're having from a place of autopilot not mindfulness not soulfulness and the same is true in sleep that's the way I tend to explain it or the way I personally try to understand it, that in sleep we can have dreams that are as those thoughts, I'm not good enough, I am judgmental of my controlling grandmother, I am, you know, whatever it is, going over that conversation where I should have said this or shouldn't have said that, processing all of these things with thoughts that aren't really of the highest truth. Or I can be mindful and, you know, awake in my dream and and receive entry into that other chamber. And really the gateway to get into the chamber, into the secret library room of the ancient texts or scripts 
is through the intention alone. Mm. Yes, exactly. And I love that you used the word interpretation earlier, because I think there's such a, there's a lot around dream interpretation within uh, modern spirituality. And I have a sort of love-hate relationship with that word because on the one hand, you know how um, sometimes you'll have a dream and you'll tell somebody and you'll ask what it means. And, and the asking of somebody else, what, a, what, you know, the most rare of jewels that's been offered to you means is actually absurd if we think about it because how could anybody else possibly know what the gods have given us Mm. in our secret chamber (laughs) it's a bit like in the last the last time we chatted I don't know if you recall but we talked about journeying shamanic journeying and being in altered states and how seeing an owl will mean one thing for one person and another thing for somebody else. And that perhaps there is a, a collective meaning in a particular particular cultural context. Like if somebody from the Navajo has a dream of an owl, it means a certain thing within their cultural context. But if a woman in New York City from, you know, originally from the Netherlands dreams of an owl, it will mean something totally different. The same is true in dreaming, you know, we have these dream books that tell us that owl means this and mouse means that and deer means this and losing a tooth means that. And great study has gone into this. So it's not to disregard that, but just another way of reclaiming our own power of asking ourselves, you know, on our own deep knowing, what does owl mean to me? What does deer mean to me? What does losing a tooth mean to me? and taking interpretation inward again, interpreting it ourselves without giving our power away. Yes. And I feel like dream is just, the dream work is like, that is like one tiny little practice that we can do into that opens the doors into the whole greater spectrum of self-inquiry. So it's like, if we can just take that dream and instead of, waking up in the morning and getting online to Google, what does this symbol mean, you know, or however other way we're going to, you know, get gain meaning from the dream. What you said, asking ourselves, what, what does this mean for me? And I feel like that's sort of a metaphor for this greater conversation of, of self-inquiry, of, of asking ourselves the questions, of turning the questions inward instead of outward. And I'm also curious if the messages that are received through the dream from the Melissa perspective and dream shamanism, do they say anything specific about the feeling of the dream or the emotions that you wake up with when you are coming out of a dream? Because I find in my personal experience that sometimes a symbol or something that happens is really obvious and it's really potent. But then other times, it's not so much necessarily what's happening or a symbol. It's about the feeling that was created through the dream. And that in the message for me really lives in the emotion and in the feeling rather than mm. the specific person or the objects or the symbolism or other things that might be going on in it. Mm, yes, I love that question too. Yes, absolutely. Yes, a thousandfold. Yes, because spirituality or seership or relationship with the divine is a 360 experience within these ways. It's not just physical sight, you know, it's not just seeing vision in dreaming. It's how does the body respond? How does the heart feel? How does the womb interact with the dream? And how do we let ourselves receive the transmission of the dream through the entirety of who we are? Because the hope that we interact with the divine through the entirety of who we are, that it's not just through ascent and visual experience, but it's through 
our bodies and through our wombs and through our hearts. So when we receive a dream, it's received in every cell of our being. And we see it with every fiber of who we are. You know, seership involves 360 vision through every pore of the body. And so it becomes a very holistic experience, dreaming. It's an experience of the all, through the all. There is a teaching that we work with at the heart of dream work that I feel is important to share here that is to ponder on the, on the idea, on the possibility that while we are dreaming, we are also being dreamt. That while, while we are dreaming, we are also being dreamt. And that sounds quite trippy when you go down that route because <laughs> yeah. it's just kind of, you know, like, whoa. Whoa, whoa man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoa, dude. Dude. Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, what came first? <laughs> like, let me just sit with that one for a minute. <laughs> what came first the chicken egg right it's that kind of feeling of you know if if we are dreaming and looking out upon something surely that something is looking back at us and and when we start to really embody that possibility that illusion of separation between us and all things just starts to very gently disintegrate and what we hope for in these ways is this state of this consistent state of low-grade ecstasy the path of ecstasy (laughs) (laughs) this is amazing a consistent state of low-grade ecstasy (laughs) why like why aren't they teaching this in school (laughs) my question exactly like let's write a new curriculum please my gosh yeah Yeah. this idea that life doesn't have to be hard that we don't have to push all the time that there's really nothing to push and the more we can allow ourselves to just soften and loosen that grip you know know that we don't have to hold on to everything so tightly and just just watch things unfold we become the dreamer the dreamer that dreams herself being dreamt, that dreams herself being dreamt, and so on, you know, ad infinitum. It does this creating of our reality, of change, of, you know, a world that is in harmony and earth-honoring and life-affirming and in a state of low-grade ecstasy. Oh, I love that. And the low grade makes it sound so attainable, you know, because if it was just to say, oh, live in this state of perpetual bliss or perpetual ecstasy, Mm. it's like, well, that sort of seems a little bit like we can have moments of it, but it feels a little difficult to to bring into the mundane day, right? Mm. Or moment. But this idea of low grade ecstasy where it's like, I could just maybe maybe do something to enter a sliver to to invite a sliver of ecstasy or sliver of bliss into this moment it's mm. like yeah i can do that and then that's mm. where the weaving begins of of maybe taking it from one moment to the next to the next and so i just love that visual that that creates for me and it's like we're through these practices we're entering into a deeper intimacy and communion mm. within our own dreams Yes, exactly. And this idea that dreaming can be a practice. It can be living in autopilot, or it can be living with mindfulness and being fully alive, you know, in our full potential. And any practice just requires practice. That's all it is. Something that helps me personally sort of day with my practice is this reshaping my relationship with the word discipline because in order to kind of day present with a practice it requires a level of discipline doesn't it and often (laughs) I think often with with women's work 
we're so kind of tired of anything that is constraining or seemingly oppressive that we rebel against things like the word discipline because it sounds so patriarchal and I think it has been made so. Um, I think it's valid that we feel that way. But if we can reshape our relationship with the word and deconstruct it into being simply a disciple of discipline, making us a disciple of that which we love, that which we choose, that which makes us feel most alive. So we're not in autopilot, whether we're awake or in dreaming, we're in discipline, we're being disciples of that which makes us feel most alive. And I think that kind of relationship with the word discipline can help us have a form and a practice that personally I feel is vital to perpetuate any kind of change, anything that is long lasting and not just transient, a constant state of low grade ecstasy. I love that. In, in your meaning and your reshaping of these words, I'm curious if you've had a reshaping of the word disciple means or what that means to you, because we can think of the, of the word disciple in a very biblical sense, or there's different ways to even interpret that word. So what is that being in relationship, making yourself a disciple of what makes you most alive, of what brings you life? What does that mean personally for you? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because that is one of the words that we most associate with in in this language, Christianity, being the Mm -hmm. disciples of Christ. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, uh, it's a tricky one because of all our kind of religious conditioning, um, at least whether it's, if it's not in our own kind of personal experience, in our ancestral experience. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the word disciple has something very sacred to it, It has this kind of really divine undertone. It's like something a thorough, something other. And to be a disciple of that which we love is like stepping into that space that is outside of ego, you know, and outside of these kind of personal agendas. There's no where to get to. There's no point A to point B. I'm not doing this practice because I want to become enlightened or because I want to transcend my body or because I want to be reincarnated into a star. It's because I am in that experience. I experience the otherness just by choosing to be a disciple of that which I love. There's no kind of place to get to. It's simply by setting that intention and we come back to intentionality and and the potency of it, something so simple that we just gracefully, naturally, organically move into that state without having to do anything. Mm. And to me, it feels like um, to be a disciple of what we love, it sparks something that feels very devotional within me. It's like I'm doing this from a place of devotion. I am expressing from a place of love for the sake Mm. of love in a devotion to what I love. And Mm. it's, it keeps you in that heart space. It keeps you anchored into that place of this is, it's almost like this is my prayer or this is my, this is my song. This is, this is what is most effortlessly and organically moving through me in devotion to love or to something more sacred in itself. Yes, beautifully said. Um, Life is a prayer, life is an offering. Dreaming is that. It's this sacred prayer that we make before we go to sleep and hope that we will receive a glimpse into that innermost chamber of ourselves that is also the innermost chamber of the all to access this, you know, rare type of knowledge and the possibility for healing. Hmm. And even just the acknowledgement of 
how much of a gift our dreams are to receive. Every night we get to receive these messages. And so to bring the intention back to it. And I'm curious if there we have the intention. We know that that is the primary practice or that is the primary gateway into a more intentional form of dreaming into the secret room. Are there other practices that we can use beyond the intention to activate more intentional and maybe more inspired or meaningful dream states? Mm, Yes, there's a practice that's done in partnership with another called dream mirroring. And this is a practice within which we help to help each other to understand our dreams because sometimes a lot can come through after there's been an intention set, like a lot is received, but sometimes we can lack the understanding of what's come through in the dream. And so we work with another. So Ariella, my dear friend and colleague who I mentioned earlier, and I, we meet once a week and we've been doing so for almost three years now. We've taken a break this summer, but we usually meet once a week and we dream mirror a dream. So we will each take a dream to each other and read it. And the other will enter an oraculous state and mirror the dream back to us and offer us seership um, from within that dream that will then help us understand the next point on the map in our lives. So we use dreaming as a form of guidance and seership that's very much a form of personal sovereignty because we're the ones doing the dreaming, but also offers sisterhood and community or the the medicines of the other in order to live a life that is more spirit driven. That's another method. There are lots. <laughs> I love that one because I feel like so many of us are constantly receiving these divine messages through our friendships, especially through women. So this is like taking it to a next level. I would love to get into this conversation around self-induced dream states, Mm. because I know that this is a aspect of shamanic dreaming and dream work. And so how do we start working with these self-induced dream states to access deeper realms within the dream world? Mm. The first step is the intention, setting the intention before going to sleep. So for instance, a good one to start with is my intention is to remember my dreams. Because for a lot of people, what tends to happen is there'll be a lot of movement at night and then in the morning it all just floats away. And so a good place to start is to set the intention before going to sleep to remember our dreams, to write the intention down in a dreaming journal, a journal that is devoted only to dreaming. So this is just a form of dream hygiene. I'll just say that in a parentheses, but dream hygiene is really important to help induce these states and to be granted access, if you will, to these other chambers of dreaming, to these deeper places within ourselves and and the, the all. So dream hygiene, writing the intention down, beginning with, I will remember my dreams, or I, my intention is to receive seership in my dreams, to receive sight, or to see more clearly. My intention is to see more clearly in my dreams. And then as we go to sleep, we repeat the intention over and over again, like a mantra, as we enter the dreaming state. There's a sort of more advanced practice that is to hold awareness as you cross the threshold between wakefulness and sleep, so that you are aware of yourself going to sleep and you hold your awareness throughout your dreaming. So it's a form of lucid dreaming, which is a another practice and slightly more advanced, but so that you are an agent of change within your dream and you're awake as you're dreaming. So you're interacting with your dream. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation, I think, but that's a more advanced form of this practice. But to begin with, just setting the intention to remember the dreams, to see more clearly, to receive seership. And then in the morning, when we wake up, before we do anything, before we um, kiss our beloved or check our phones or whatever it is, 
remembering the dream, seeking to remember the dream. A helpful way to do that is to visualize a blank canvas in front of ourselves and to see the dream play chronologically upon that canvas um, or that screen. And then writing the dream down as we remember it, exactly as we remember it, without interpreting it, writing it down like data, like dream data. This is a really good way in getting into the habit of doing so not every night because practice takes energy and sometimes we just need to sleep. So I wouldn't ever suggest dreaming with intention every night, perhaps once a week, perhaps twice a week, perhaps every other night, perhaps every weekend. We all know our measure and I trust, you know, we all have our own capacity and know what that is or can explore the edges of that. But this is a really good starting place to, to begin a relationship with our dreaming and see where it takes us. Yeah, and that's really interesting what you said about holding on to that bridge between conscious and when you start going into the dream state at night and, and keeping your awareness mm. there. I've worked with it on the other side of things. So in the morning where you're in that lucid hypnagogic state between when you're just waking up and you're Mm. in that bridge between sleep or the dream world, but you're not fully conscious yet either. And a lot of times that's the place within my own dream work that I try to linger in a little bit longer to cultivate not necessarily cultivate the dream, but to capture it. That's when I'll scribble it down. So my dream journal can, sometimes it will almost be like illegible because I'm in, I'm so still in that lucid state where I'm writing things down. So that's really interesting that Mm -hmm. it can also be worked with on the opposite end of the spectrum in the evening going into the dream Mm -hmm. world as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how much teaching can come through writing when we're still in the in-between and in-betwixt, when we reread ourselves. Just that practice in itself is so empowering because so much teaching is received (laughs) by us, through us. And there's no need of a third party. You know, just that in itself can be so empowering. It is so empowering. And when you start realizing that the messages that you're receiving are always what you need, then you can develop that trust muscle where you kind of can know that if there's a message that Mm -hmm. you really need to receive, it will come to you in a dream and you don't need the third party to receive it or to know it. And that level of trust, there's something really potent in that. And When it comes to writing down the dreams, are there any certain practices in that regard? Because another thing that I find really valuable, like what you were saying, is going back and reading over the dream a couple days later or a week later or revisiting a dream journal from a month before. And it's like when there's that space between and you go back to it and it's like, whoa, there's so much information here. So I'm curious if there's a way that they write down or capture it? Or is it just sort of that stream of consciousness, just get the details down? Yeah, there's two ways, actually. One is to just move with that stream of consciousness, as you said, and get everything down. That's the first step. The second is to distill the dream. And this is what we work with in the dream activism practice, the collective dream work that we do on the solstices and the equinoxes. We ask dreamers who have dreamt with us that night to distill their dream into a hundred words maximum. Ooh. And you know, that's a <laughs> yeah, that's a teeny tiny little paragraph. Some people dream pages. And it's an art form in itself to learn how to distill our dreams without interpreting them without going, well, this meant I dreamt of all of these things that meant I'm hungry or that meant I'm angry at my ex-lover or whatever it is. We distill without drawing conclusions. It's not an easy practice, (laughs) but once mistressed or once mastered, it provides a homeopathic dosage of the dream as opposed to a flood This is something that comes up a lot in this work. How can we walk the tightrope between the flood and the drought? How can we offer just enough? 
how can our words be just enough not to overflow the cups or to keep them dry, not to do harm. Mm. Everything that we do is filtered through nonviolence because oftentimes within women's work and within this movement, the liberation of women essentially is the use of the voice as something that has to happen above all things. But what we tend to forget is the harm that that can cause as well. Personally, I find myself continuously holding myself accountable with the words, Mm -hmm. do no harm, but take no shit. Mm. That's my my personal Mm -hmm. mantra. Do no harm, but take no shit. Yes, use the voice. But also, you know, there's no need to flood anything. We don't have to fight every battle. Mm -hmm. Some things are better in homeopathic doses. And so we learn how to do that in dreaming as well, how to distill our dream into a homeopathic dose that we then alchemize and transform into gold. Amazing. Oh, wow. (laughs) That is so beautiful. And I feel like it's such a metaphor for just for life. It really is honing in on this idea of balance, of the practice of balance. It's so important to bring our awareness back to this because we're living in a world that's so polarized. And as the feminine, one of the feminine principles of balance and how we can restore this idea of balance in our dreams. And I think that as women, we've had our armor up for so long because we've needed to. And so now it's like the art is really in the communication. The art form is in the way the message is not necessarily the the stance or their perspective, but it's in the way that it's being communicated. That's this real mastery we're all being called to hone in on right now is to not be the flood or the drought, to not silence ourselves and suppress ourselves, and also to not be that flood of emotion or of doing harm, like what you were saying, or projecting onto others, and how our dreams are the perfect place to start practicing that before we bring that maybe into our relationships. It's like we can practice it within ourselves, within our dreams of strengthening that principle of balance and that homeopathic dosage Mm of that just right place. It's interesting how the dream work and the dream world can also flow into things that we're also interweaving with in our waking life too. Absolutely. And just this awareness around the dream because what is a dream after all right there's so many definitions but what does the body know of that what does the the womb know what is a dream when we ask ourselves you know when we sit with that what is a dream we are a dream (laughs) everything is a dream the aborigines knew it as dream time it is always pulsating through the rhythm of life it's always there and the undercurrent of all things and it doesn't uh, I was talking about this the other day it doesn't wake up when we wake up it stays dreaming Mm -hmm. and it's as though we're rising up from it when we're in our daily life you know when we're awake we just rise up, our body rises up out of it, but we can still hold that state and know that everything that we do can affect change as it can when we're awake in our dream. So is that what you would call daydreaming? Where you take that, we know we dream during the night, but then when we rise up out of it and holding into that state, is that how you would describe daydream work, or is it something different than that? Yeah, in a sense, yes, because when we enter a daydream, we are getting a little glimpse into what is behind the veil. (laughs) We enter a slightly altered state of consciousness when we're in the dream, the separation between us and the other. Mm -hmm disintegrates a little bit and it's as though we for a moment in time remember that we are being dreamt 
Wow. The last thing I want to ask you in regards to dream work is one-eric mm. practice. Is that how you say yes. it? So I'm curious yes. what that is. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because that came up really strong for me before we started. And then I forgot as we were chatting. <laughs> so yes, I think that's a, a great one to bring in. Wineric dreaming was a practice used in ancient Greece. Wineric comes from the word Wineros, which some see as a god or an entity, a divine being from the other, beyond the veil. But the word means dream. And so there's an interesting personification that took place there for the ancient Greeks, that the dream was a spirit. <laughs> the dream was a god. And Wineric dreaming was a practice that was undertaken within dreaming temples, not only in ancient Greece, actually. In Britain, you find ruins of what some think to be dreaming temples. They're stone structures just under, just down low, you know, built in the ground that you have to descend into chambers that I never pronounce it right fogus I believe they're called that are stone structures underground and nobody quite knows what they are and there's tons of them in the UK some believe them myself included <laughs> to be dreaming mm. temples and Wineric dreaming that was undertaken in both of these cultures also in Mexico where I believe you mm. are which is interesting yeah <laughs> the yeah, the Mitsika, they held some of the most advanced uh, dreaming teachings. Oh, I didn't world. know that. Oh, yes. And they worked with black obsidian mm. as their way in to dreaming, which we also do in these ways, uh, what we call the black mirror, that for the Celts were black bodies of water, like dark bodies of water, and in Mexico were slabs of obsidian. So dreaming can be entered through tools as well, divinatory tools. But Wineric dreaming was a practice that involved a ceremony, ritual, intentionality in order to enter what was known as incubation or dream incubation. This basically was a form of sleeping in a temple or in a sacred place for oracular purposes where pilgrims all from all over the world would travel considerable distances to these spaces, to these sacred spaces or dreaming temples in search of some divinely inspired dream vision. And so within the sanctuaries, you would have priestesses, also sometimes mm. priests, who would undertake a ceremony and who were versed in dream divination, who would prepare the pilgrims to sleep, often by offering them healing waters or miraculous waters associated with the sanctuary, sometimes with plants in them, sometimes with some medicinal concoction or herbs of the land. Sleep would then be ensued or would, in, would, would then be induced and these priestesses, such as the Melissae in this case, were responsible for maintaining the dream hygiene of the clients. So keeping their bodies somnolent and their souls receptive so that the dreams would arrive undisturbed. The Melissae were intermediaries between the human and the divine, between the dreamer and the dream. <laughs> between the realms of consciousness and that of the flickering unconscious or subconscious. And when the dreamers or the, the pilgrims would wake up, they would have received dreaming, divine inspiration through mm -hmm. dreaming that would help them in whatever pertinent life issue they were going through that they had come to receive guidance around. So this is what Waneros or Waneric dreaming was back in ancient times. There's a point I'd like to just bring in here to end with related to dream activism that I think might be interesting to note. Oftentimes these pilgrims were asked to dream to Gaia 
And Gaia, as I'm sure most people know, was one of the names of the spirit of the earth. And so they dreamed with the earth, which is one of the most secret intentions because the earth then became a spirit to be transcended from, you know, a spirit to move away from one that was seen as dense, continues to be seen oftentimes as dense and material. And there's a need for us to move away from her and transcend her and our desires that come from her. But within Waneric dreaming, it was a return to the earth that was sought so that she may inform mm -hmm. the dreamer. So keeping the ear close to the ground, body down by the earth, laying on the earth and receiving dreaming from her. <sighs> wow. Well, that's a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this knowledge and this wisdom in these practices with us today. I just honor your work and, and see the importance and the value of it. And I'm just really grateful that it gets to continue to live on in modern times and through women that are walking this earth right now, bringing back all of this ancient wisdom and knowledge and practices to help us connect deeper with ourselves and move through these times in a little bit more of a balanced and harmonious way and to remember our power, you know, to bring it back to ourselves. The dream world and the dreaming is one of the most potent and powerful ways that we can tap into our own inner gnosis, our own inner knowings and step a little bit more deeply into our own personal embodiment and receive clarity for our own journey. So thank you so much for offering this wisdom on the dream world and dream practices and shamanic dreaming and dreaming temples. And I'm sure we're all going to have a lot of fun now going even deeper to our dreams and extracting the nectar of the teachings and the messages that they have for us. So thank you for being here and please let people know where they can find you. Thank you for all those sweet words, Jacqueline. And for, as I said earlier, for opening the space earlier when we chatted, I was just saying it feels like it's this virtual lecture hall that you open up for, you know, hidden teachings to find their place. And so thank you for creating that. And, and thank you to all who, yeah. who are here to listen and yeah. receive and hopefully what needs to land will and in terms of the work, the Virtual Temple is the website that has all of my body of work within it. There are actually two dreaming events coming up that might be of interest to anyone who feels the call. The first is this free collective dreaming that Ariella and I do on the solstices and equinoxes. So the autumn equinox is coming up in the Northern Hemisphere anyway. And so we'll be dreaming with the earth for a healed earth on the 21st of September. So the information for that is on the Virtual Temple website, which is thevirtualtemple.net. And then we are also holding a dreaming retreat, which we do every autumn, a virtual retreat that will be in November. So that's also up on the website. It's a three-day immersion into the dreamscape and dreaming into the dark side of the year in the autumn. So yes, those are the things that are coming up. And again, thank you so much for having me and for all who who have listened and, and joined us on this. Of course. And your Instagram as well for people to get in touch with you there. Oh, sure. My Instagram is honeyed.ways. Honeyed ways. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton, and I'll see you next time.